Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for our last episode for week seven, uh, our normal Friday episode. I'm your host, Karsten. Welcome to the show uh, and or welcome back to the show. Whether you've been listening previously or you're brand new to the podcast, either way, uh, we genuinely appreciate your support and uh, thank you again for tuning in. Uh, we got a pretty jam-packed show for you. Uh, of course, we're going to recap the last couple of days. Uh, Wednesdays, uh, just kind of standard regular season games, and Thursdays, two uh, in-season tournament semifinal games. So we'll recap that. Uh, we'll go through the latest news. We'll do a franchise focus, our normally scheduled franchise focus, uh, this time uh, focusing on the Denver Nuggets. Uh, we'll check in on the fantasy uh, situation, as well as uh, looking back at some predictions we've made. Um forecast the uh the weekend of action we'll do a little bit of a preview for the championship game as well for the in-season tournament uh so there's plenty of stuff to talk about uh that being said let's go ahead and waste no more time let's jump right into our our game summaries and key news Okay, we're going to go ahead and start with three games from the Wednesday slate, uh, the non-in-season tournament games. So we're going to start with the uh, Philadelphia 76ers in Washington against the Wizards, and they win this game 131 to 126. Joel Embiid with a monster game. We'll get to that in just a second. Uh, 22 lead changes in this one and a lot of fight shown by the Wizards, a team that we know has struggled in the season for the most part, uh, leading by as many as 10 points uh, multiple times in the second quarter. Um, but Philadelphia resilient. They were able to come out on top. And again, Joel Embiid, a huge part of that. How about 50 points, 13 rebounds and seven assists for the uh, reigning MVP of the league? Six turnovers, a little rough, but I mean, uh, 65% from the floor made one of his two three-point attempts and was 84%, nearly 85% from the free throw line. Um, That's a very great game indeed. They also got 26 points and seven assists from Tyrese Maxey, 19 points from DeAnthony Melton, and then 12 points off the bench from the recently returned Kelly Oubre Jr. Great to see him back on the floor and, uh, you know, being able to put up some points. Maybe a little bit limited on the minutes. He's kind of, you would think, the clear-cut sixth man um, when he's fully up to speed and uh, 19 minutes second to Patrick Beverly. I'm sure those minutes will increase a little bit as he gets you know, back into the flow of the lineup. Um, meanwhile, for Washington, they were led by uh, Jordan Poole, uh, 23 points, two assists with uh, 60% from both the field and three-point range, three of five from three. So good game for him. 20 points, eight assists for Tyus Jones with two blocks, actually. Um, one of his better games of the year. They got uh, 18 points, six boards and two blocks from Daniel Gafford. 16 points, seven assists from Kyle Kuzma. 16 off the bench from Corey Kispert, who was four or five from three-point range. And then 14 points for Bilal Koulibaly, the rookie. Not a terrible game for Washington. Um, but, you know, when, again, you have an MVP scoring 50 hard to overcome that sometimes so a great win for the Sixers all around Uh, let's move to the second game we're going to focus on we're talking about the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers at home against the upstart Orlando Magic and the Cavs getting the win in this one 121 to 111 your final score in Cleveland for the Cavs and the Cavs never trailed at any point in this game um, leading by as much as 23 in the second quarter but it was fairly close throughout um, 
certainly not a blowout and Orlando still very competitive, especially when they can get a game like this out of the sophomore standout 42 points from Paolo Bancaro along with six rebounds and two blocks. Um, And he wasn't even that efficient from three, one of five from three point range, but he shot 61% from the floor, nine of 12 from the free throw line. Um, he he hasn't quite had the the huge breakout sophomore season that I was hoping for, but he hasn't he hasn't dipped in production at all, and I think that's great to see. You know, I feel like he's just he's going to at least as be as efficient as he is now, or as productive as he is now, and he's only going to get better if anything. So that's great to see. Um, then they got 19 points off the bench from Cole Anthony, who's kind of emerging as a six man type name. Uh, they got 14 from Franz Wagner. 11 from Anthony Black, and then also 11 off the bench from the older Wagner brother, Moritz Wagner. Um, so not bad for Orlando. But then uh, as a team, they shot 80, not 80, 8% from three-point range, two of 23 from the three-point line for the Magic in that game. And that certainly hindered their chances. I mean, they only lost by 10. You figure if they make 20% of their threes, um, you know, they make, how many would that be? Um you know, five threes in this game or, or something to that effect, five or six, it would have been a much closer game. Um, but that's besides the point. Cleveland got the job done. Donovan Mitchell, 35 points, seven boards, six assists, five of 10 from three-point range. Great game all around for Mitchell. They got 26 from Darius Garland, along with nine assists, uh, 17 for Max Struess, who was four of eight from three-point range, 16 for Evan Mobley, and then 10 off the bench from George Niang. Um, Jarrett Allen with 11 rebounds in this game. Not a ton of the defensive stats, uh, apart from a few steals for the Cavs, but uh, they were fairly efficient offensively. And uh, again, you're playing a team that shoots 8% from three-point range. That's uh, sometimes all you need. You just need to be productive. Excuse me. So good win for Cleveland in this one. And then our last game that we'll go more in-depth on from Wednesday's action was a, a one-point affair. Uh, or, you know, a game that was decided <clears throat> by one point between the visiting Brooklyn Nets and the home team, the Atlanta Hawks, the road team coming out on top in this one, Brooklyn winning 114 to 113, your final score in Atlanta. How about 43 lead changes in this game, um, apart from a few moments in the first quarter uh, and in the third as well, no one leading by more than about four or five points. Uh, Atlanta led by seven a couple of times, but a, just a back and forth affair in every sense of the uh, every sense of the phrase for Atlanta. Trey Young, very good, as you'd expect, 30 points, nine assists and two blocks. Interestingly enough, uh, three of nine from the three point line. They got 21 points from Sadiq Bay and seven rebounds, along with 20 off the bench from Bogdan Bogdanovich. Uh, they also got 14 from DeAndre Hunter and 13 from DeJounte Murray. Murray also with 10 rebounds and nine assists in this game. Not bad for Atlanta. Um, for Brooklyn, Mikael Bridges, 32 points, six assists, five rebounds, three of four from the three-point line. It seems like a little more over the last couple of weeks. We've seen some more offensive standout performances from Mikael Bridges. So maybe we'll start to see a little bit more of what we thought we could see based on the playoff series last year. Uh, they also got 17 from the other acquisition from the Suns, Cameron Johnson, uh, 15 for Dorian Finney-Smith off the bench, 13 for Spencer Dinwiddie, and then also 13 for Dennis Smith Jr. off the bench. You know, Smith Jr. getting kind of a, a second lease on life here 
a second uh, career, if you will, after he was out of the league for just a, a moment. So I kind of like to see that. Nick Claxton with 10 boards and Daron Sharp with 10 boards. Uh, those guys kind of finding a groove, hopefully, at the center position. And a great win for the Nets down to the wire uh, in Atlanta again. So, yeah, that, those are the three games we'll focus on from Wednesday. We'll go back to the Wednesday action. But first, let's talk about the two games uh, from the in-season tournament on Thursday in Las Vegas, starting with the Eastern Conference matchup, the uh, one seed Milwaukee Bucks against the two seed Indiana Pacers. And it was the road team, the Pacers coming out on top, 128 to 119, your final in Vegas as the Pacers punch their ticket to the in-season tournament championship. Congratulations to them for doing so. They did it in exciting fashion. Um, 16 lead changes in this game, much of that in the second half. Um, Pacers had a big lead at half. Milwaukee fought back thanks to the efforts of Damian Lillard, but then the Pacers uh, had a resurgence in the fourth and uh, down down the stretch, they made some big plays. Tyrese Halliburton, the Pacers MVP, certainly, uh, with some huge plays. For Milwaukee, they were led by uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, 37 points, 10 rebounds, 2 assists, and 2 blocks, shooting 68% from the floor and 84% from the free throw line. Not much more you could ask from Giannis. Lillard with 24 points, uh, 7 boards, 7 assists. Um, how many of those points came in the third quarter? Let me pull that up. 16 of those points coming in the third quarter for Damian Lillard. Um, again, finishing with 24. Huge game, uh, or huge third quarter, rather, to bring him back into it. Four of nine from three in the game. Uh, although he was seven of 20 from the floor for 35%. So did struggle at moments. Uh, Chris Middleton, a good game, 20 points, seven rebounds and two steals, along with four assists. And he was four of five from three-point range. One of his better games of the year, certainly. And then they got 18 points, six boards from Brooke Lopez, not to mention four blocks. Um, you know, those guys produced and, you know, they scored plenty of points. But you're talking about a fast paced Indiana squad and a, a gutsy squad. Again, Tyrese Halliburton, 27 points, 15 assists and seven rebounds and huge plays down the stretch. Uh, a step back three to to put them ahead. I mean, they he shot three of nine from three in the game, but was 57 percent about 58% from the floor in general, um, you know, made some great passes up the floor on the break. I mean, Milwaukee scores and they're getting back defensively, but they're just not fast enough. Indiana really likes to push the tempo. And there was a, you know, at least a couple of plays, especially in the second half where Halliburton makes a simple pass to a wide open Isaiah Jackson or, you know, uh, one of the other guys, you know, a buddy healed or something like that, you know, Obi Toppin on a lob play. That was what, one of the great moments in the last, uh, you know, portion of the fourth quarter, just making the right reads again, no turnovers in the game with 15 assists. He has just been sensational uh, passing the ball um, and also one of their leading scorers. He's a huge reason. He may be I, I, certainly the biggest reason, but it's hard to overstate how important he has been to leading this team to the uh, championships of the in-season tournament. Um, outside of that, I mean, they still got great games from other guys, especially Miles Turner. How about 26 points, 10 boards, and three blocks for the big man? Um, Long-time Indiana Pacer. I like to see Miles Turner do well, and he had a great game there. 
Uh, they got 14 points from Whoopi Toppin, again, including a lob that was very impressive. 11 off the bench from one of the backups I like the most, Isaiah Jackson. And then 10 points from Bruce Brown. Um, Buddy Heald, 8 points, 11 rebounds for Heald, along with two steals on a block, making it work defensively. And then how about the impact of an Aaron Neesmith? You know, it's not going to show up in the stat line. Six points, one board, one assist, and a block. But he was crucial to the... Uh, I mean, he he's kind of an emotional asset, but also the defense. I mean, physically uh, not going to back down. You know, there's the foul trouble. He had five fouls in the game, but he was getting him for the most part in the right moments, um, being an agitator, uh, along with TJ McConnell, who had three steals on the game and nine points, four assists as well. You know, they just have a, a lot of guys that can make key plays for him. And, uh, you know, the Lakers will certainly be favored. We'll get to that in a moment in the championship game, but uh, it's hard to not root for the Pacers and feel like they have a pretty good shot, especially if Halliburton can continue this level of play. It should be a great game nonetheless. But otherwise, yeah, great win for Indiana. And we mentioned the Lakers. Let's talk about that. The other game from uh, the semifinal matchups, the two semifinal matchups, the Los Angeles Lakers dominating the New Orleans Pelicans. The Lakers, of course, the one seed, the Pelicans, the three seed um, and playing in Vegas. Anthony Davis commented on this, as I'm sure did uh, a lot of Lakers players and personnel feels like a home game for the Lakers. I mean, and I think I might have alluded to this. Uh, if not, I've you know kind of felt it going into any sort of quote unquote neutral site. If you have the fans there, the Lakers are, you know, there's just such a big fan base you know, maybe the biggest in all of the NBA and especially in Vegas on the West side of the, of the nation, you're going to have mostly a Laker fan base and Vegas in particular feels like a Laker type uh, fan base, especially. So yeah, the home crowd atmosphere played into it. Um, 133 to 89 is just, you know, not a great look for the Pelicans and it was a close first half for the most part. I mean, Lakers had start to, started to build a lead going in halftime, but then they just erupted in the third quarter, uh, or the Pelicans struggled, whichever way you want to look at it. Um, and a 44-point margin of victory at the end of it. They're the largest of the game. Um, the Lakers out-rebounded the Pelicans by 17 boards. Uh, they out, you know, out-play-made, I suppose, the Pelicans. Nine more assists. Pelicans were slightly better on the defensive stats, but... Uh, how about nearly 20% better uh, in the shooting category from the floor, the Lakers were, and about 26% better from the three-point range. I mean, there's not much more. It's hard to think of a you know, more dominating performance other than a larger margin of victory. And the Pelicans, no one necessarily shined for them. Their leading scorer, Trey Murphy the third off the bench, 14 points in the game. Uh, Zion Williamson, 13 points. Herb Jones, 10 points. Uh, McCollum, Valanchunas, Ingram, all with nine points each. They shot 35% from the floor, 22% from the three-point line. Um, that's rough, you know. And the Pelicans have not been a bad team this year. That's kind of the puzzling thing. Uh, or at least they've, they had seemed to gain consistency in recent weeks. I mean, they're eighth in the West after that loss, about 12 and 11, their record, you know, just above 500. Um, you can expect them to do just a little bit better, but uh, really a poor game all around for the Pelicans. 
Meanwhile, for the Lakers, shooting above 50% from the floor and nearly 50% from the three-point line, um, Anthony Davis was a standout. I mean, 16 points, 15 boards, five assists, two steals, two blocks, stuff in the stat sheet, but it, re- it really was LeBron leading the charge, of course, scoring-wise, 30 points. He also had eight assists and five boards. Uh, shot 75% from the floor. Um, he was eight of eight from the free throw line, four of four from three-point range, most of those in the first half. I mean, he just came out on fire, and he only played 22 minutes. I mean, resting early in this game after they had built a lead and giving a lot of the other guys a chance to to blow it out. Um, how about Austin Reeves off the bench, 17.7 assists, uh, 15 points from Torian Prince, who was five of eight from the three, 14 for D'Angelo Russell, and then 12 for Rui Hachimura. Uh, they also got nine from Cam Reddish. I mean, pretty balanced scoring. Um, and when you're playing a team that's shooting 35% from the floor and you're shooting nearly 55%, um, let's check out that third quarter, especially I got to see what exactly happened. Uh, I was able to see more of the first half Pelicans scored 17 in the third Lakers scored 43 led mainly by Davison and LeBron. Uh, LeBron only played six minutes in that quarter, but they just got points from about everybody. And um, that was really the point of separation. I'm sure LeBron didn't play in the fourth. And uh, again, especially second half, you know, pure domination by the Lakers and they punched their ticket to face the Indiana Pacers in the in-season tournament championship. So we'll go into kind of the matchup there, preview it a little bit if we can. Um, for the moment, let's jump back to Wednesday, see what we might have missed in the remaining games, starting with uh, the Memphis Grizzlies winning in Detroit against the Pistons, 116 to 102. Desmond Bain, huge game, 49 points, six rebounds, and eight assists as the Pistons lose their 18th straight game. And uh, that's going to continue to be a talking point. The more they lose, more people are starting to pay attention to it. And uh, there seems to be some big issues in Detroit for whatever reason. Um, Even though they have Bogdanovich back, I mean, he led them in that game, 22 points, seven assists. Um, Still can't find a way to win. And uh, it's alarming to see. Uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves won at home against the San Antonio Spurs, 102 to 94. Your final there. Rudy Gobert with 16 points and 20 rebounds. Uh, big day on the glass for Gobert. Uh, the Miami Heat won in Toronto against the Raptors, 112 to 103. Pascal Siakam with 30 points in that game. The Houston Rockets, a little bit of a surprise win. They've had a few of these, but they win at home against the Oklahoma City Thunder, 110 to 101. Your final. Uh, Shake just Alexander 33, but not quite enough to uh, to beat the Rockets there. The Chicago Bulls won at home against the Charlotte Hornets, 111 to 100. DeMar DeRozan was 29 in this game. Uh, we did talk the Jazz Mavericks, of course, the Mavericks winning at home against the Utah Jazz, 147 to 97 with Luka's 40 point triple double. But we did talk a little more in detail on that game with our Mavericks franchise focus from yesterday's bonus episode. So tune into that if you want a little bit more about that game. Um, last two games, the LA Clippers won at home against the Denver Nuggets, 111 to 102. Another Jokic triple double. He had 22, 15 boards and 10 assists, and uh, still couldn't overcome the Clippers. And the Nuggets, we'll talk about them more in detail today with our franchise focus. Um, and there's some concerns there. That's, you know, kind of the overarching theme as we go, you know, that'll lead us into it, I suppose. But uh, the last game from Wednesday's action. 
The Golden State Warriors won at home against the Portland Trailblazers, 110 to 106, and Steph Curry with 31 points in that game. So that is your action from the last couple of days. Um, before we do the key news, let's see if we can preview that game. Um, I'm not sure what else to say other than Hal Burton and LeBron. Those two guys, you know, are the leaders of their teams in a lot of senses, but especially the floor generals. They are going to run the show from the the point perspective. Hal Burton, of course, more of your, you know, what you think of as a point guard. LeBron, your point forward, of course, but they are going to run the show offensively. And the the veteran LeBron, the multi-time champion versus a young rising star in Halliburton. I'm super intrigued on how that's going to go. Um, I'm also curious about how the Lakers might be able to play defensively, if they would be able to disrupt the Pacers game. You know, we've seen in moments in recent years, the Lakers like to push the ball a little bit more. So I don't know if the Pacers will have as big of an advantage in the, uh, you know, pushing the tempo type category. Um, if you want to look at latest matchups, I mean, they haven't played each other yet this season in a regular season game. And of course this championship game does not count. It's the one game of the in-season tournament that doesn't count towards regular season standings. It's a standalone game. So certainly keep that in mind. Um, but uh, again, it's, it's Halliburton and James that are going to be the intriguing points. And then the Davis Turner matchup, Anthony Davis versus Miles Turner, I feel like could be intriguing. You know, who has the better supporting game? That could be an underrated storyline as far as determining, you know, the potential winner of this championship. Otherwise, you know, both teams have uh, a lot of moxie off their bench, um, plenty of scoring potential, plenty of three point shooting potential, especially on the Pacers side of things. Um, you know, don't overlook the potential impact of guys we mentioned in the previous game having big moments. Aaron Neesmith, maybe defensively when, um, you know, Buddy Heald or, or Obi Toppin's not in the game. If you have a Neesmith against a LeBron, if he can fare well there. Um, and then also TJ McConnell, his backup play, his his pest nature, you know, in the best possible way for the Pacers could be a factor as well. And uh, for the Lakers, they'll have that with Reeves. You know, uh, he can do a lot of different things for them in this recent bench role. So that could be the uh, the trade-off. But I think these teams match up very interestingly, and it's going to be a very competitive uh, championship game. Uh, for the Pacers, unfortunately, as we talked about the Lakers, especially, I mean, they're designated the home team, but they might as well have been for the whole tournament, even if they had had the worst record of all the teams in the tournament. Because again, that home court atmosphere that you have in Vegas is certainly going to benefit the Lakers. But I hope that there's going to be a good subset of fans uh, for the Pacers sake that will root for them as the underdog team. You know, I feel like that would be a lot of fun. They're the team I'm kind of rooting for, but um, yeah, it should be exciting. Again, that will be tomorrow. We'll give you more specifics on the time of the game with our weekend preview. Um, but for now, let's go ahead and jump into those key news items. We don't have too many, uh, starting with a couple injury updates. Firstly, for the Chicago Bulls, uh, guard Zach Levine will miss three to four more weeks with right foot inflammation. That's definitely uh, tough news for the Bulls. They've been able to you know, make some noise without Levine and DeRozan's in the lineup still, but uh, you know, he's a key piece. Um, so definitely want to wish him the best as he works to recover from that. 
And also for the Detroit Pistons, uh, staying in that central division, center Jalen Duran is expected to miss two weeks with a sprained left ankle. Uh, definitely not going to help the Pistons' chances as they try and break this lengthy losing streak. Um, but both of those guys who want to wish them the best as they work to recover from those injuries and get back on the floor. Uh, news for the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, longtime Hornets executive Fred Whitfield is going to depart the organization. Uh, he's the president and vice chairman of the organization, and he's stepping down and, and departing the organization entirely to focus on his health and family specifically. Um, he's uh, de- dealing with throat cancer, unfortunately, um, and has his mother also has uh, health issues of her own. So both of those things you know, certainly needing his focus at this time. And we want to wish him the best um, as he steps away from the, uh, the organization and the league to, to deal with those important life matters. So uh, for the uh, Toronto Raptors and the Washington wizards, this will end off our news. We have a couple of transactional notes, some two way contracts being shuffled for the Raptors. They are, they've waived guard Ron Harper jr. Who was on a two way deal and they're reportedly going to be signing uh, forward center Jonte Porter to uh, a replacement two-way contract. And then for the Wizards, they've waived forward John Butler Jr., and they've signed guard Jules Bernard. And again, both of those two-way contracts. So a couple of transactions. And with that, that takes care of our key news. Um, so we mentioned the, nugget, the Nuggets a little bit earlier. Um, let's go ahead and uh, waste no more time on that front. Let's jump into our franchise focus for the Denver Nuggets. Franchise focus. Okay, when we're talking about the Nuggets... Um, of course, now in recent, uh, the last, you know, year, less than a year, we're talking about a franchise that is the reigning NBA champions, which is again, I'm, I'm happy for the Nuggets' sake. Of course, they're kind of a rival with the Jazz, uh, same division and very similar, um, well, similar climates, if you will. Uh, fan base is certainly close in proximity in the, uh, the Mountain West, but, um, you know, they've, they've built a heck of a team. Now there's not, there's, there's concerns, you know, and I think I mentioned, you know, of course, with their, their most recent loss to the Clippers and again, Jokic a triple double continuing his MVP level of production, but they can't win the game. Um, They're 14 and eight, they're third in the West at the moment. So they're still a top team, but there's concerns about the supporting cast more specifically the bench. I think, um, of course, they recently got Jamal Murray back in the lineup, so that's a huge relief to have his production um, alongside Jokic, of course. Um, the starting lineup is still, excuse me, very solid. You should be able to rely on them to, especially come playoff time, they'll be able to to meet the uh, the opportunity in the moment. But the bench concerns me and it starts with of course they lost bruce brown in free agency um this past off season so that was a, a big part he was almost a sixth man for them um big part of the production they've been fortunate to get some great games from reggie jackson especially in relief of jamal murray um jackson shooting 42 percent from three this year and uh for him to have a, a touch of a resurgence i think is going to strengthen their bench 
having that type of scoring off the bench, mainly a point guard, but maybe could play shooting guard. Uh, of course, you have Christian Brown, the sophomore, who's still being very effective. And then outside of that, I mean, DeAndre Jordan is continuing to get older, not as effective as a, a an inside presence, a, a rebounder and rim protector. I mean, Justin Holiday, a veteran, can can pick up some points. Outside of those four guys, then you get into the real iffy parts of rookies, sophomores, guys who haven't had opportunities to play a ton of minutes because of the, you know, locked down rotation, especially in last year's playoffs. Um, And, uh, you know, I have to admit, honestly, I don't know a ton about these guys and their potential to grow into key bench roles. Peyton Watson uh, is a sophomore. He returns from that that you know last season's championship team um hasn't shot the ball super well from three especially uh so far this season uh not scoring a ton off the bench in not very many very many minutes as kind of a, a wing player julian strother also a rookie player a rookie uh a wing player rather and a rookie um shooting okay again not a lot of minutes not a lot of points um Zeke Naji has been on the team for a few seasons now. This is his uh, fourth season in Denver, um, playing his second lowest career minutes, um, you know, some points, some rebounds. I don't know. There's just not a lot of, you know, excitement about, you know, a definitive bench unit. And it's not too much different from the championship team, I suppose. I mean, you look at last year's squad, their rotation, um, Bruce Brown there, Jeff Green, uh, a underrated element of that bench as well. And they're without uh, Vlatko uh, Chanchar, who was, you know, starting to play a touch more minutes. And he was kind of a versatile uh, power forward who could do some some things for you. So I think that that's an underrated. I mean, he's been injured. He's still on the roster, but his loss of production, you know, I think that's underrated as well um so you look at the bench from last season bruce brown and jeff green by far were the two leading guys in minutes per game in the playoffs off the bench for them fully gone christian brown's still there um with 13 minutes a game outside of that deandre jordan rarely played reggie jackson rarely played they're also without ish smith um so the bench is the concern and we haven't seen a rookie or one of the other guys jump out yet to to show that they can replace that production you know if i'm the nuggets um from my you know layman's perspective i suppose i would maybe be a little active at the trade deadline uh, or even before see if you can bring in some sort of veteran presence because you've set the bar high you are the defending champs you don't want to take a step back from that you want to be contending again this year and they are but you want to be as strong as you can be. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're a name that you hear about at the trade deadline, um, especially if they continue to not be as excellent um, kind of as they were last year. So really though, this is, you know, the minutia of you're trying to repeat, you're trying to win multiple championships at this point, you know, fine tuning and really um, being hyper-focused on the lineup itself and, you know, certain aspects of the lineup you look at things holistically for the nuggets the last few seasons as a fan you really can't complain especially as you've gotten your first championship in franchise history um you know they've been 
one of the best teams in the NBA. Um, I mean, consistent playoffs, multiple time MVP in Jokic, Murray hoping to make his first all-star game this season, which could be rough with the time that he missed last month. Um, they, they are still in the mix. Again, there's concerns about the depth for me, but they're still winning just about as many games as they did last season uh, in terms of winning percentage so far. And uh, they're going to be right there in that mix. You know, if I was uh, a Nuggets fan, I'd be very pleased. I'd be ecstatic. I'd still be probably riding the high of the championship. Um, that's something they, they can, you know, take pride in for a long time. And uh, they're in a great place. It's just, you know, fine-tuning those details, I I would think, from my perspective, for a championship push, that's going to be something to watch for um, this season. So, yeah, they're in a great spot. And uh, the Nuggets have a great history, honestly. Um, this is the second, I believe, uh, yes, second of the former ABA franchises that currently exist in the NBA that we're talking about. Of course, we talked about the Brooklyn Nets previously. Um, but the Nuggets have a strong history making the playoffs more often than not. They have a, uh, a 51% winning percentage for their entire franchise history. Um, and they were especially excellent in the ABA, uh, as we mentioned, uh, in the playoffs every single year that they were in the ABA, including the last couple of years of the ABA as the league started to kind of slowly um, fall apart and the, the merger happened with the NBA. Um, the Nuggets were probably the top team outside of the Nets. In the ABA um, in 75 season, they were 65 and 19 um, losing in the division Western division finals, but the following season, the 76 team, that's the one I want to talk about and focus on the last nuggets team of the ABA and uh, a team that lost to the New York Nets in the 76 finals last season on the Nets franchise focus. We talked about that New York Nets team that won that championship but now we're talking about the runner-up in these Nuggets, a team that went 60 and 24. Um, if you didn't uh, haven't seen this or didn't realize, the ABA played an 84-game regular season, so they were 60 and 24, first in the ABA uh, as a whole, not in either West or East, because for the 76 season, they had already started to lose teams. Two different teams folded mid-season: uh, the San Diego Sales and the Utah Stars. Um, it was pretty apparent that a merger with the NBA was going to happen. If not, the league was probably just going to fold full stop. Um, but the Nuggets were the top team record-wise just ahead of the New York Nets, the two best teams, of course, in the ABA, as we said. They were head coached, uh, coached by Larry Brown, uh, who, of course, became a Hall of Fame-level coach and who had previously been a all-star-level player in the ABA himself. So the early coaching genesis of one of the great coaches of all time. And you look at the roster, this roster gets boosted a little bit. If you look back in basketball reference, you might be confused for a moment where it's like, man, how many Nuggets players made the uh, all-star game in the ABA that season? Well, for this final season, again, with the the struggles with the rosters, basically what they did is, okay, the all-star game is going to be the – ABA all-stars um, from the other teams and they'll play the Denver Nuggets because they were the top team. So it was kind of a, a weirdly formatted all-star game. So that's why if you look at this roster, like 80% of the end of season roster was an all-star 
uh, even if they didn't have that great of a season. Uh, for example, like, I mean, Claude Terry averaging seven points a game. He was an all-star that season just because the Nuggets were technically the all-stars. Uh, so that being said, though, it was a pretty star-studded team. How about their top four? Um, Bobby Jones, who was a, an ABA standout and a longtime Nuggets player. Ralph Simpson, who we talked about on last season's franchise focus for the Nuggets. Dan Issel, who had been um, a star for so long for the uh, Kentucky Colonels of the ABA and was their leading rebounder uh, this season and their second leading scorer. And then they had this young guy, this young guard by the name of uh, David Thompson Skywalker in his rookie season, who just happened to score about 26 points a game. Um, they also had uh, Chuck Williams, who I believe would have been yeah the point guard, who was a two-time all-star in the ABA, uh, 11 points this season, four assists, um, productive. Byron Beck, uh, a, one, a franchise standout off the bench. Gus Gerard, who was decent. I mean... As far as these ABA teams go, this is certainly a top five ABA squad, um, I would say. I mean, David Thompson as a rookie adding to Simpson, Jones, and Issel. You know, Ralph Simpson's uh, incredible guard play alongside Thompson as wings. Chuck Williams, the point guard. Bobby Jones, power forward. Dan Issel, the center. Um, it's hard to do a lot better than that. How about Bobby Jones, two and a half blocks or 2.2 blocks per game and two steals per game, along with nearly 10 boards, four assists and 15 points a game. Underrated player, one of the all time great underrated players, especially in his ABA career. Dan Issel, phenomenal. Um, this is a great squad. And in the playoffs, they uh, won the ABA semifinals versus those Kentucky Colonels. Uh, who still had, I believe, Artis Gilmore in his last season in Kentucky. They had Dampier. Um, they had a pretty stacked team in their own right in terms of ABA greats, um, but they win that series uh, in a seven-game slugfest to move on to the ABA finals in a truncated playoff series uh, or playoff schedule, and they lose the finals 2-4 to the New York Nets. Now, if you weren't familiar with the Nets at that time, they, have, of course, had Dr. J, Julius Irving, who was otherworldly. How about 29 points a game, 11 rebounds, five assists, two and a half steals, and two blocks. I mean, unbelievable. He dominated the ABA. He was the ABA's greatest player. Um, and then they had a pretty stacked team themselves with Brian Taylor and John Williamson, an all-star level backcourt. But um, this Nuggets team, you know, that would have been a really fun footnote if they had won the last ever championship because of their run of excellence in the ABA. Um, but it just, it didn't just, it just didn't quite happen, I suppose. Um, and they also had the uh, interesting uniforms this final season, which, you know, led into the the first few seasons in the NBA um, with the, the Nuggets logo with the pickaxe in the kind of oval, just plastered on the front of the Jersey. Um I certainly prefer the uniforms they had the previous season with the kind of diamond pattern on the side and the, uh, the almost Kansas font on the front, but um, you know, you can't have everything, I suppose, but great team, great head coach, great players uh, just couldn't quite reach the mountaintop um, despite, you know, 13 all-stars or whatever it does, whatever it was for them that season. But uh, you know, I digress. That is it for our historic team. 
Um, um, of course, we've already talked about the uh, the current roster. Let's move on to our historic player. Last season, we talked about um, Ralph Simpson, as we mentioned. This time, we're going a little bit more, uh, you know, modern day, a little more new school. And we're talking about Marcus Camby, um, who was a great underrated player, especially the 2000s, and one of the greatest defensive players of the 2000s. Um, 6'11", 220, center and power forward, mainly a center, a um, couple of seasons of power forward on unique lineups. Um, he was a four-time block champion, uh, leading the league in blocks, four-time all-defensive. He was uh, the 2007 Defensive Player of the Year for his efforts in the with Denver, with the Nuggets, and uh, he was on the all-rookie team in the 1997 season. Uh, second pick overall in this 96 draft, a legendary 96 draft of the Toronto Raptors. Um, of course, if we're going a little more in depth on Camby, storied collegiate career with the UMass Minutemen, leading them to uh, NCAA tournament appearances in the 1996 Final Four. Uh, phenomenal uh, career there. He set a tournament record at the time, uh, maybe still standing, of 43 blocks in 11 games. Uh Definitely a stalwart inside. Um, there was a footnote on his collegiate career, of course. Um, in the following year, 97, the uh, University of Massachusetts visit to the Final Four was vacated by the NCAA. And I'm actually direct quoting from, from Wikipedia. Uh, fantastic source, of course. But uh, uh, Camby had been found to have accepted $28,000 from two sports agents. Um, you know, pretty typical... Uh, agent type thing uh of that period of course no nil deals at that time so um players could receive no money whatsoever um these agents were trying to get the services of camby and uh there was an issue there but it's interesting uh the school was forced to return about one hundred fifty thousand dollars in revenue from that tournament appearance and camby reimbursed the school for that amount lost uh later in his career i thought that was a pretty cool thing for him to have done to kind of, you know, Hey, sorry, this happened. Let me see if I can make up to make it up to you in some way. Um, later on in 2010, he was inducted into that school's athletic hall of fame. Some criticized it, but I think that's generally the right move, especially if he tried his best to rectify that mistake. Um, and he actually later returned to the school, uh, through on, an online program and earned his college degree in 2017. So I like to see that personally. Um, and again, drafted in 96, he was drafted by the Toronto Raptors. First of all, uh, played a couple seasons there, showed plenty of promise uh, with some injuries, but then uh, was traded to New York to the Knicks uh, in exchange for Charles Oakley, who'd been a long time uh, defensive impact player for the Knicks um, for the Raptors at the time where they were trying to get into the playoffs. Um, probably the, not a bad move, but you certainly would have liked to have had the defensive impact of a young Marcus Campy, Marcus Camby rather, um, especially as he continued to flourish in New York and was part of that Cinderella run in 99 as an eight seed. I mean, they had a 27 and 23 record, barely above 500, but in the playoffs with Patrick Ewing miss, missing most of the playoffs, Camby steps in starting center. Um, you know, they win the, the, playoff series against uh, Miami and uh, the Atlanta Hawks and then the rival Pacers in the conference finals. And then uh, suddenly they're in the, the championship series against the, the San Antonio Spurs. Of course, the Spurs won in five games. Um, 
kind of an anticlimactic end to the Knicks run, but it was exciting. And again, Cam Camby was a huge part of that. Um, continued to play well for the Knicks. Had some controversy with the with a a brawl incident in early 2001. Um, ended up contacting, you know, swinging at a play a different player from the opposing team, but contacted uh, his head coach and Jeff Van Gundy. Who had to get stitches. Um, but for the most part, was a positive impact for the the Knicks in the 2002 offseason. And during that draft, uh, the Knicks trade Camby, Mark Jackson, and Nene to the Nuggets in exchange for Antonio McDyess and Frank Williams. One of the moves that it's very easy to think, what were the Knicks doing um, of that 2000s era? But with Denver, um, and again, that's kind of our main focus, of course, it's a franchise focus. He really came into his own as a defensive impact player. How about his, let's see, I want to say, yeah, six seasons in Denver from the 02 season to the 08 season. His averages, I mean, 10 points a game, nothing amazing there. 11 rebounds, very solid. Two and a half assists, 1.1 steals, and three blocks per game. And especially if you focus on the last four years in Denver, he averaged... 3.3 3.3 blocks per game that last season in 08 averaging 3.6 blocks per game phenomenal you know and it shows how great of a rim protector he was in his prime um an underrated career there um in 06 he was involved in the Knicks Nuggets brawl he was ejected from the game didn't get suspended um and then in 07 he was the NBA's defensive player of the year um and uh just a phenomenal career in Denver. Um, he had a triple double in, in Milwaukee with uh, 10 blocks. And that was in uh, December of 07. Um, he also should, uh, made a three pointer in that game. Certainly not a, a three point threat for his career shooting 20% on maybe uh 0.1 attempt per game. But uh yeah, just a phenomenal career. And of course, those Nuggets teams were elevated for the most part by his play. And it feels bad because, again, 08 season was his last year there. Um, for all of those years previously with Camby and Carmelo Anthony, they'd failed to make it past the first round. They trade him prior to the 09 season. And that season, they break through the first round um, you know, barrier and make it to the conference finals. And maybe he wasn't the pieces that they were able to acquire around, you know, his absence powered that. Um, I would certainly acknowledge that. I feel like if he had stayed and they'd made some of those other moves that they had made, especially bringing in, you know, a Chauncey Billups like they did. um, I feel like they still would have been able to have great playoff success with Camby there. You know, I feel bad that he wasn't able, able to be a part of that and was almost a scapegoat. Um, that was kind of his, you know, regrets or um, his feelings about it have, having been traded. It's like, man, I, you know, we didn't get it done and and they moved me and I, suddenly I'm the fault and I did what I could. Um, and, you know, it's hard to deny his impact for the Nuggets um, in those early 2000s, mid 2000s teams with Carmelo Anthony. Um, after that, remained productive for a long time, uh, was with the Clippers and uh, the Portland Trailblazers when he was still uh, very effective as a rim protector and a rebounder. Um, his play started to decline though. 
uh, finished his career back in New York, actually, in 2013 on that Knicks team that had a lot of names um, and were still that was still a good team. 54 and 28 was a record. Um, but the names on that team, Quentin Richardson was added. Kenyon Martin was there. Jason Kidd, who we talked about with our Mavericks franchise focus. Um, Ronnie Brewer, Rashid Wallace, Marcus Camby, Kurt Thomas, um, a lot of Knicks crowd pleasing names, but they, again, were still a good team. Um, played about 24 games that year. Um, definitely not the same player that he was. And at that point, you know, called it a career. So I had a great career all around a underrated player. Um, throughout his career, he's been, uh, active in charities as well, uh, especially in the Denver area. Um, so that was great to see. And, uh, Excuse me. I wish that he would get more recognition for his defensive impact in Denver. Um, yeah, just underrated. I mean, 3.6 blocks per game in 2008 in 79 games played is phenomenal. You know, one of the best blocks per game seasons we've seen in certainly the last 20 to 25 years. Um, yeah great player. And uh, I suppose with that, that takes care of our franchise focus. Again, next week we'll be doing some more bonus franchise focuses. Um, We'll get into that in just a moment. But for now, let's see if we can shift focus for just a couple minutes and jump into our Fantasy Fridays discussion. Okay, jumping into um, a look at my current matchup in the Fantasy League. I'm trailing 5'11 to 4'82 um, in the middle of tonight's games against uh, Connor's team, one of our members of our league. And I wanted to actually start with a quick shout out to Connor uh, for his abilities in the draft uh, for our league. He has Tyrese Halliburton on his team. And I remember, I want to say that was his very first pick in the draft. And I remember thinking, wow, I like Hal Burton. That feels like a little bit of a reach, though, with some of the names that were still on the board, especially just after a handful of picks. Um, Connor seemed to know something that we didn't, I guess, because, uh, of course, Hal Burton has been sensational. And so props to Connor for calling that one. Um, I did pick up the win at the end of the, the last week. So I'm two and four at the moment, which is tied uh with three with two other teams for second worst uh justin unfortunately has the worst squad in the league sorry justin um yeah i'm trailing the matchup but it's close so i'm hoping to be able to get the win i haven't been able to make any of the moves uh i did make a signing uh or you know picked up a guy in cole anthony who i think's been doing okay but uh i mentioned last time that i wanted to maybe make some moves in the the trade conversation haven't found anything yet uh and haven't really had a chance to look but i'm hoping by next week i will have been able to make some some savvy moves and strengthen my team a little bit um so that's an update on my current fantasy position uh in in regards to some players that i you know looked at very quickly and thought maybe their names to look out for um and again the stats i will give are compared the last two weeks compared to the season as a whole 
Uh, as a riser, I picked Anthony Davis, mainly the points and the rebounds that that those stats have been elevated a little bit. Um, you know, some of that's the in-season tournament. So take that, you know, with maybe a grain of salt almost. But um, he's been elevated in his play um, in those specific aspects. Um, the Lakers have been, you know, very focused at uh, this time of the season with the tournament. Um, but I feel like even though LeBron has been phenomenal, more and more Davis is is ready and you know hopefully is past some of those injury troubles i mean he's been good so far knock on wood but um more and more it's going to need to be anthony davis's workload in terms of the more consistent higher scoring um of course the rebounding side of things that those two aspects he needs to to take more charge um and that would lead them to success so that's kind of where I put him there. But again, with the tournament that kind of elevates some of those stats um, for a guy who's following in production, I went with RJ Barrett. I mean, his scoring's down, but more concerning his percentages were way down. I mean, about 6% less from the floor, but about 20% less from three point range. Um, he just seems to have really stagnated and have, have these moments where he regresses more often than, uh, you know, breaks out. And it's it's concerning for the Knicks perspective, a team that wants to get more consistent and start to continue to elevate their level of play that wants to move from that middle of the pack of the playoff conversation in the East to a higher group, more in the top four or five in the East. And uh, Barrett hasn't been much of a solution in that conversation. Um, not sure if they move on from him at some point or um what the the solution is there maybe he gets better i hope he gets better but right now um not not great for the knicks uh has been rj barrett and then a sleeper uh, a sleeper to some certainly not the fans of the chicago bulls but kobe white um his increased production in the absence of zach levine especially i mean he's averaging about six points more per game over the last couple weeks uh, nearly two rebounds more a game, and his three-point percentage is up nearly 9%. Um, he's been shooting it more from three and shooting it better from three and scoring more points as a result, uh, taking the scoring workload. They've been winning some games. I like what I've seen from Kobe White. Certainly keep an eye on him in terms of his increased production level uh, in recent weeks. But uh, with that, I think that takes care of our, our quick look at our fantasy Fridays. Let's check in on some weekly predictions, and I've been dying to talk about this, but I just have to say uh, my week six uh, prediction, uh, I told you so. I said the Indiana Pacers will play in the finals of the in-season tournament, and there you go. Confirmed prediction. Uh, I will latch onto that for uh, the rest of my days. I feel very excited about that. Um, also, recent predictions. My, my Pistons won, unfortunately for them, looks pretty good. Wyatt's Thunder prediction looks very solid about them being a top five team. Um, we've been doing all right. I mean, the Clippers thing, uh, they've been playing better. So it's hard for me to say now that they would miss the playing tournament. But um, we've been doing an all right job with our predictions so, uh, so far this season and especially the last few weeks. Um, but definitely, uh, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of predictions we'll make or we'll ha have made that at the end of the year will be like, I don't know what we were thinking there or we uh, we overreacted. But um, that's it for our predictions. Let's go ahead and talk about our weekend forecast. Those last couple segments just flew by. Um, for the weekend, 
for Saturday and Sunday, it's a quick conversation. Saturday, tomorrow, we have one game. That's your in-season tournament final uh, slash championship game. And uh, again, the times that I will give for these games are in Eastern Standard Time. So keep that in mind as you plan your schedule. Uh, but the championship game will be on ABC at 8.30 as the uh, Lakers are your designated home team against the uh, three or the two seed in the East, Indiana Pacers. Of course, the Lakers, the one seed in the West. We've previewed that. I'm rooting for the Pacers personally. Um, I don't mind seeing either team win, honestly, but um should be an exciting game, and the Lakers will certainly have a home court advantage there. Um, on Sunday, no games on Sunday. So you have a little bit of a breather before Monday. We hop back to regular season action. The end season tournament will be fully over and we have 13 games on Monday coming back from the end season tournament. One national broadcast that's on NBA TV at eight o'clock as the Grizzlies host the Dallas Mavericks Uh, should be intriguing. Your remaining games, you have the Philadelphia 76ers hosting the Washington Wizards at seven o'clock. The next three games are also at seven. You have the Magic hosting the uh, Cavaliers, the Pistons hosting the Pacers, and the Hornets hosting the Heat. Uh, Pay attention to that Pistons game. Uh, Regardless of the outcome, uh, if the Pacers win or lose the championship, you wonder if there's, you know, an an easing off of the throttle after the tournament happens, and maybe that's an opportunity for the Pistons to get their first win in more than a month, Um, but Hard to say, you know, not a lot's been going well for the Pistons. Um, and then, yeah, seven, uh, the Hornets are at home against the Miami Heat in your Southeast Division matchup. Um, some intriguing games, nonetheless. That should be a lot to look out for. Um, and I want to touch on that Pacers point just for a second as a greater concern. Um, you look at their record for the season, they look very good, you know, above 500. Um, if you take out all of the in-season tournament games, they're below 500. So I'm hoping that when they're done with the tournament, that there's not a letdown for a while, um, that they will continue to be above 500 as a whole, that the tournament isn't artificially boosting their um, their winning focus, if you will. But that's, you know, I digress. Uh, at 7.30, the Knicks host the Raptors, or matchup of those teams who are locked up in a court battle as well. Um, we've talked about that a little bit. Very intriguing stuff. I mean, I didn't know how long that conversation had been going on. I read a little bit more into it um, earlier this week, I want to say. And uh, for the Knicks, it looks like maybe a lot of the James Dolan touch in terms of litigation and, um, you know, I don't want to say a chip on his shoulder, maybe a personal agenda against the Raptors in particular. Um, maybe Masai Ujiri had an impact. I mean, there's a lot of facets to that conversation. Um, haven't seen a ton of that translate to the court so far this season, but who knows? Maybe that happens uh, in New York. And then uh, also at 7.30, the Atlanta Hawks host the Denver Nuggets. Um, at 8 o'clock, you have four different games at 8. Firstly, the U- Oklahoma City Thunder hosting the Utah Jazz um, quick note on the Thunder. I want to shout out the, uh, uh, well, now I'm forgetting the name of the podcast. As soon as I try and shout it out, we'll shout out them when we do our Thunder franchise focus for sure. Um, and when we have a conversation about the Thunder in the future, um, also at eight, the New Orleans Pelicans host the, uh, Minnesota Timberwolves, um, the Milwaukee Bucks host the Chicago Bulls, and then the Houston Rockets host the San Antonio Spurs. And, uh, 
The Last Storm is the name of the podcast. I am so sorry that I forgot the name for just a, a brief moment. It's a great podcast, Thunder specific, Thunder fans uh, who are, have a great touch, uh, are very in touch with what's going on with the team. So if you want to get more in touch with the Thunder and what's going on with them, I definitely recommend it. Um, and then at 10 o'clock, the Sacramento Kings host the Brooklyn Nets. And at 1030, the LA Clippers host the Portland Trailblazers. So a lot of action. Uh, we kind of took a winding road through those games, but um, it'll be exciting. I'm kind of relieved to to get back to just a normal regular season, um, day to day, week to week, if you will. the The tournament's been a lot of fun, um, but you know, the, the extra hype around it being the first year is maybe starting to get a touch old. Um, but we're still looking forward to tomorrow's game, and uh, again, should be should be a lot of fun. But with that, that takes care of pretty much the show as a whole. Uh, let's go ahead and wrap things up with our This Day in History fact for you. We're going back not too far to 2011, uh, December 8th of 2011. In an unprecedented move, a three-team trade that would have sent Chris Paul for the New Orleans from the New Orleans Hornets to the Los Angeles Lakers was vetoed by then-commissioner David Stern. With the NBA owning a majority stake in the Hornets at the time, the trade was overturned amid pressure from other team owners who opposed the transaction. Um, if you've heard this, the reason given was quote unquote basketball reasons for the trade being vetoed. Um, Paul was subsequently traded to the LA Clippers before the NBA sold the Hornets to New Orleans Saints owner, Tom Benson. Um, if we had a show on December 8th last year, there's a very good chance that we already gave you this fact, but it's hard not to talk about that because it, because again, that that almost never happens apart from an instance like this. Um, it felt weird uh, when it happened. Um, I'm sure. I mean, I don't remember it in specific detail at the moment that it happened. But uh, of course, that would have paired up Chris Paul with Kobe Bryant at the time. Pau Gasol still on the team. They certainly would have stayed in the championship mix, um, but didn't quite happen. And uh, it becomes a footnote in NBA history as a result. But uh, with that, that takes care of our show. Thank you again for listening. I'll real quick plug our Instagram and Facebook pages. Uh, they're at Crossover Across Time. Pretty straightforward. We're also on Twitter uh, or X, whichever you prefer there. And on that page, we're at X Over Across Time. So a little different due to the character limit. On all three of those, you'll also find a link tree that will take you to, well, any of the other social media pages, but will also take you to the podcast itself. You're already listening, but if you don't know all the places we're available, we're on podcast, uh, uh, we're on Spotify rather, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and uh, RSS.com. So, a lot of places to to check us out. Again, we really appreciate your support. As far as the upcoming schedule, just a reminder: um, this next Monday, we'll be doing our wrap up of the in season tournament, all of the games, all the awards, the champion, um, all of that conversation will be on Monday, which will then mean we'll have a kind of normal Monday show on a Tuesday rather and we'll recap the those uh you know tonight's games and Monday night's games on that Tuesday podcast along with our normal what we do on a Monday show. We'll then have a normal Wednesday podcast. We'll do a bonus franchise focus on Thursday for the Detroit Pistons and then we'll have a normal Friday episode as well where we'll also be doing a franchise focus I believe for the Golden State Warriors. Uh, so stay tuned for that. That's kind of the upcoming week. With that, uh, that wraps things up. 
thank you again. This is probably the fourth or fifth thank you, but we really do mean it and we do appreciate your support. That's it from us for now. And we'll be back with you on Monday. <laughs>